2: Hey, I'm Andrea Stino from uh, Real Vision, and this is the daily briefing we are sending to you live Thursday, the 25th of August, after another week of absolute mayhem in uh, energy markets. Uh, So today, we're going to ask the question whether there is any light at the end of the energy tunnel. And I guess no one's better equipped uh, of answering that question than my uh, guest today, Tony Greer, the founder of TG Macro. It's very good to see you again, Tony.
1: Too kind of you, Andreas. Great to see you too, man. How you doing?
2: All good. Just back from from Turkey, actually. But um, I wanted to ask you initially, Tony, uh, what's been on your radar in the past trading days? Here, it seems as if energy is on top of uh, everyone's agenda again.
1: Yeah, it sure is. It sure is. You know, we we just uh, we just pounded the 2021 highs at eighty six dollars when WTI pulled back to its low um, around eighty six dollars and you know, that was a level that we kind of expected to hold technically because the entire physical market has been very strong. So when we held that level and then a couple of days later, uh Prince Abdulaziz, Saudi Arabia's, you know, representative in OPEC, um, came out and said that basically that he doesn't appreciate the severe disconnect between paper and physical markets, which he's basically calling somebody out, i.e. the United States, uh, potentially for manipulating the oil paper markets, which seems something that's highly likely and is being timely done for political purposes with elections coming up in November, um, like everything else that we're seeing. And I think that that Prince Z's comment that if he's continued to see this, that the OPEC would in fact cut output, to me, and then and then see crude oil rally, you know, in, over a couple of days to a high of around ninety five and a half, ninety six dollars. You know, that's the signal to me that that dip is over, and it really is. I mean, we've we've really had everybody pounding the downside, looking for the, to follow in on this recession story. And now you've got break-evens bouncing off of the lows of their move and um the curve bouncing a little bit off of the lows. We got a sort of weak number today in GDP, another, you know, another quarter of negative GDP growth, and yields didn't budge from the highs. So I thought that was interesting. I feel like the bond market is, you know, focusing on commodity inflation and not as much on the pending recession like it was a couple of weeks ago. And it feels to me like the next 10 or 15 dollars higher is is, is, excuse me, the next 10 to 15 dollars in crude oil is going to be higher again because there's simply no inventory anywhere. And the spreads have just been knocked all the way back to, you know, 30, 40, 50 cents backward dated per month. And, you know, that's where they had been trading in a normal backward dated market before things went crazy um, during the Russia-Ukraine invasion, and, you know, the spreads per month blew out to 3 and $4. So that's the situation on our hands right now, Andreas. um, Crude oil today failed at the highs at the 200-day moving average resistance level, something to be totally expected the first time up there. But I'm pretty sure next time up it's going to go through because we are running out of room and time uh, to to get this much lower on the downside. So it feels to me like we're going to have to test the upside in the next couple of days. What do you think?
2: Well, I, I tend to agree um, you know, on the short-term outlook. Uh, and I have to give you my compliments here, uh, Tony. You remained very calm during this uh, bearish price action that we saw in in, in crude oil through July and, and parts of, of August. So well played. Um, in, in, in terms of today's overall question, Tony, is there any light on sort of the supply side of the energy question? Uh, what's, what's your take on that? Do you
1: sense any light at all right now? Uh, I really don't, you know. I, I really don't. And, and when I take a step back and re- and you know read some notes and and some pieces that look at the world from thirty thousand feet up and go over the you know the lack of and continued diminishing investment in you know drilling and exploration and production in oil, you know it's not going to be until we reverse that that oil prices will really be able to move much lower for any kind of an extended basis. And when I look at the timeline now, Andreas, I look at the fact that we just sent the U S just sent another $3 billion to the Ukraine, um, you know, and a lot of military assistance and some of it is kind of spread out the calendar as in, they're not going to be sending stuff, you know, until 2023 and 2024 and 2025. So, I'm trying to understand how, you know, a bear, an oil bear is going to look at this and say, well, we're going to be in a prolonged um, conflict now assisting Ukraine versus Russia. How in the world is the oil price going to stay close to 90? You know and that that's what i'm trying to figure out right now and to me the answer seems like it's not going to uh because now the oil market feels fairly balanced between you know trading on either side of 90 and now we've got any one of a thousand supply disruptions or you know kind of bullish episodes that we can live through heading into winter so you know that that's what leads me to believe that the downside is limited right now and that i'm going to continue to play for the upside especially after having you know lived through this attack where all of the equity energy equity names all pulled back to their really steep pull back to their two hundred day moving average support, kind of the last lines of support for technicians and it looked scary down there, but it held the whole way um, you know the the story was in the fact that there was no no spare capacity out of Saudi Arabia, limited inventories and really no spec long to be flushed out of the markets so you know i'm getting fairly constructive again andreas i don 't think that the uh you know i'm kind of the the uh in the camp where those the the fears of a recession are maybe exaggerated a little bit and you know we'll see what happens to gasoline demand but right now it seems to be hanging fairly firm we just got another big draw in wti this week that kind of helped to test the upward bound of the range there and i feel like that market is fairly healthy and looking to go higher but no i don't see any uh any end in sight to the war on supply that we're seeing right now they're still trying to push uh you know, trying to push people toward electric vehicles. I mean, that's what the whole entire Inflation Reduction Act was about. Um, it's got nothing to do with, you know, reducing inflation. It's all about, you know, offering incentives to change people's energy consumption habits. And so the only savings in there is if you go in and buy some solar panels, you get a tax credit. And if you go in and, you know, you know um, more efficiently, you know, um, heat your home or cool your home, then you get a credit for that. So, you know, I don't I don't know how all that stuff is going to pan out And we we continue to hit the spending button as often as we can in the Biden administration and all of that seems to be continually inflationary to me, but we'll see.
2: Yeah, it's certainly not an inflation reduction act. <laughs> right? Maybe rather the opposite. Uh, but um but, Tony, you briefly uh, touched upon the positioning uh, and I think we can bring up a chart on the positioning across yeah. various commodity markets um there is a net long position in, in the oil market, for example, but um, it seems as if, if, you, if you look beneath the surface that the traded volumes are getting lower and lower. So speak to this uh, positioning and whether it's something that worries you in your long bet on, on energy.
1: It really doesn't, Andreas. You know, I've seen the oil market with you know, spec positions of 500 and 600,000 contracts long. And I've still seen it go up with that carry that much length higher when the market is physically strong. Um, I still think that that's kind of a situation where we are now. I don't think that the spec length is bloated enough where you know it's going to tip the calendar back over from these prices to into contango certainly because that's what we're talking about now, right? And I don't see you know if you look at where inventory levels are at Cushing and in some of the other pads, you know, in and in some of the products. You can't imagine how spreads could possibly go contango with the amount of inventory that's there. So we're not we're we're nowhere near that floating storage trade We're we're not going contango with the amount of supply that's out there. And I think it's just a matter of time before tightness works its way back in. And we see, you know, like I said, one of any one of any thousand types of supply disruptions that we've been seeing over the last several years.
2: Tony, if we look at the uh, situation in the natural gas market, uh, I think we remain within spitting distance of highs in, in the natural gas price in the U.S. Uh, and certainly so as well in, in the European Union. Uh, what's your take on natural gas
1: um, in relation to the oil story? You know, I, it doesn't seem like anyone in Europe has a plan, no. Andreas. Right for for what's gonna what they're gonna do next? And and I, I just tweeted that out yesterday when um you know natural gas prices hit a new high today they traded to uh Dutch TTF traded up to 91 or 93 dollars it settled uh, per megawatt hour um you know put it this way you know there's a couple things weighing on that you know positioning in natural Jared Gillian th- seems to think that uh there's a lot of assholes in the natural gas trade which there may be And I'm definitely going to heed that call because the last time he made a call like that in energy, oil fell $30 in a straight line. So no matter what, I'm going to keep my eyes peeled for that. But at the same time, it still feels, you know, like I said, with there being no plan, um, I don't know what's going to reverse this right now. It feels like very sort of spookily related to Macron's recent comment about the end of abundance. In Europe. And, you know, he must clearly be talking about the end of abundance of food in Europe as the Netherlands plans to close down thousands of farms to, uh, you know, improve their ESG score. And that's going to take a lot of food off a lot of tables. The price of natural gas going higher is not helping the issue at all. Um, They're still entirely beholden to Russia right now, who seems to be, you know, turning the tap on and off at his whim. And we'll see how it continues from here. But I don't even think that we've reached the main event as sort of the point of max pain that Europe is going to see before this is over. Do you?
2: Well, I think it's tricky right now. I mean, we can all agree that Europe is stuck in a huge mess. Uh, But if we look at the current storage situation in Europe, it actually seems as if uh, most European countries are – at least slightly ahead of the curve in terms of filling up natural gas storages. But I mean, there is obviously a big difference between the stock and the flow in this discussion and the flow is still not super good. Um, So it is an issue that we will continue to deal with in Europe throughout the winter. Um, I personally think that we will peak at some point uh, during the fourth quarter, um, but it's very, very tricky to time it. And I'm certainly not trying to bet on it right now because I mean, you can just, um, yeah, basically destroy your portfolio before you get the timing right. Um, but if if you look at um, the the discussion on the storage situation in, in in Europe, would it be something that you could take confidence, um, or, or are, are you still worried about um, the the issues uh, surrounding the energy complex in, in Europe heading into of the winter.
1: Well, I've seen I've seen you very astutely point out that you know their their storage is a little bit better than the sort of narrative will allow. And I mm. can appreciate that certainly. Um I do think that it is going, you know, the price is going to peak out some point before, you know, I don't know, before sort of hell freezes over over there. Right. I think that mm. you'll see a peak in the prices sort of late in the fall when everybody is so geared up about this and then there'll be some kind of a political response to manage the optics you know which has kind of been the 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 back and forth that we're seeing you know gas goes to five dollars you know biden releases the spr gas goes to four dollars they take a victory lap you know it, it, they they add gas prices going down into the sort of campaign slogans for november you know and things like that and and so You know, all of this is really tricky into November, and that happens to also be where the SPR releases are scheduled out to. So if they don't renew any more SPR releases for after the election, which may be a point that they're going to let the political optics get a little bit ugly again. um, Oil is going to go straight to one hundred twenty five dollars again, right, because that's basically the SPR releases have been what have been stopping it from going there several times over the last few months. Um, you know, and then we ran into that whole recessionary scenario that really you know, put a, a real damper on demand and demand growth expectations. But you know, still, that, that is sort of the, uh, where the rubber meets the road in the oil market right there. We're going to take a
2: quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. We've seen a few uh, announcements, uh, for example, in Switzerland, uh, that uh, public buildings uh, will use heating oil instead of natural gas um, as sort of the heating source uh, for for this winter. Do you have your eyes on the uh, heating oil trade potentially, Tony?
1: Yeah, I just have my ears out for that, Andreas. Mm-hmm. Because you know that that's the sort of switchover that becomes bullish WTI side of the trade. Mm-hmm right and and you know as you know we're already pretty tight on inventories across all products in terms of diesel gas oil heating oil everything is tight across the board so yeah i mean it seems like that is you know that would be a natural um switch over to go to that and you know prices there are still on the rise and inventories are still tight so you know what what that does is that that helps me a little bit quite a bit andreas because i have a lot more risk in in crude oil than I do in sort of natural gas risk. Like I'm old enough to remember how many times I've gotten burned being long natural gas, you know, looking for the moon and the stars. And, you know, I would rather um, sort of play natural gas at the $5 table, if you will, and, and, you know, have a little bit of risk on there and a little bit of risk in the stocks and sort of play um, the WTI trade From the Peacock Lounge, which is sort of the high rollers table where you can bet, you know, two or three thousand dollars a hand in blackjack um, or ten thousand dollars without raising an eyebrow. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of the way that I've been lining up my my energy bets. And so holding that dip there and energy was huge. And I'm coming out the other side looking to play offense.
2: If we look at the price action in metals, um, Tony, uh, we've seen a a small rebound in, in, for example, the copper price over the past, uh, say, four to six weeks. What do you make of the price
1: actions uh, within that space? Well, we got a super steep slide in copper, you know, as we priced in that recession again, not to not to be too repetitive. I'm sorry, but it's part of the story here. Once again, we hold the old lows in copper, excuse me, the old highs in copper as support while we do that break evens bottom out at 2.75 or 2.73% in five year break evens and you know those are obviously forward looking inflation expect market based inflation expectations and then break evens held because we kind of overshot the economic weakness on the downside they rallied out of the hole the curve stopped going down finally and so whoever got short copper into the lows had to run out and cover so and I still think that the, the, the you know, broad supply demand fundamentals in copper are still pretty bullish. At least you know they may not be 12K LME bullish, but 7, 8K uh, on the LME certainly seems like more than a fair price for the direction that we're going to go with the electronic vehicles and how much copper we're going to need for sure um, for that transition and then for any you know stabilization in the economy is probably also going to put some demand back into copper. So hard to get bearish copper after a 40% sell-off, right?
2: tend to agree. Um, I wanted to play a soundbite for you, Tony, in relation to the debate on whether to add exposure in metals to a portfolio. It's from a discussion between Adrian Day and Larry McDonald. Um, So let's listen to the soundbite and uh, get back to that discussion, Tony.
3: So... The point I'm making is that copper, to me, has very, very powerful supply demand um, dynamics, even if you ignore, even if you ignore the the, uh, green, green, the electrification of the grid and the electrification of the um, uh, automobiles. And part of it is not just a demand, but it's also a the supply. Um, there, are some, there are some commodities where people talk about shortages. And of course, a shortage doesn't really exist. It's a matter of a shortage at a particular price. But there are some commodities where there's a current shortage, but there's not a shortage of capacity. So you could increase increase the supply if you wanted to. Copper is not in that case. In 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 the case of copper, you know, copper mines, as we mentioned earlier, are huge. They're big. They're huge investments—half a billion or a billion or even more than a billion dollars. The point I'm making is that it takes a long time to develop a major new copper mine, right? Freeport recently said that they have put all new mines on on hold for the time being, and they were asked a question. They and they they were asked a question about how long it would take them to bring new new minds on board, and they said even the shovel-ready, shovel-ready, where they already have the permits in place, would take five years before it starts producing.
2: The entire interview is available for Essential Plus and Pro subscribers to Real Vision already today. Tony, back to you. Um, a very compelling uh, storytelling on the lack of supply also within the metal space. Do you see a fit in your portfolio for being long metals right now?
1: Yeah, we're long metals in mining at TG Macro on the Navigator. We we bought XME on the dip, um, you know, into support there. um, After having a long run in it from the long side and getting out higher, we got a chance to buy it back, so we did. Um, I'm kind of keyed up on the fact that – you know, I don't think it's necessarily the right idea to throw in the towel on commodities broadly and metals and mining very specifically heading into a stagflationary type of environment like I think we're seeing. Um, I've just read a couple of different reports that were really, really compelling. One of them by Gehring and Rosenschwag, I believe, is the pronunciation of the second uh, partner's name in that firm. Um, they put out some really, really thoughtful research in energy And they go back to the 70s and 80s where we saw a lot of inflation and we suffered a lot of recessions during that period of time. And during that period of time, a portfolio in metals and mining, gold miners, mostly natural resources, dramatically outperformed the S&P, believe it or not. So that's the kind of scenario that I think that we're looking at now where, you know, we're going to have fits and starts in the commodity and, excuse me, fits and starts in the economy. Uh, It's certainly not going to be a one way train of improvement with, you know, the way the world is changing Um, and the path won't be linear to higher commodities. But we are set up right now for extremely tight situations across so much of the commodity complex that, you know, it feels like one of those scenarios where we're coming out of two decades where everyone had to be positioned for deflation to make money. And, you know, these were the stocks that were left, um, you know, kind of left forgotten about. And it feels to me like, you know, we are actually slowly peeling out of that. And natural resources are becoming a little bit more and more of um You know, people are recognizing that they've been left for dead for a long time. They're an extremely small portion of the S&P. And, you know, it might be the type of period for the next 10 to 15 to 20 years where hard assets are probably a good asset to have on your pad. Mm. So, yeah, we're set up for it. Um, I'm I'm hoping that the last dip was, uh, you know, you can pretty much explain that XME path through the narrative. You know, it, it got going on, you know, the push to electronic vehicles. Um, It got a little bit out of control where we had the commodity rally um, and crude oil traded higher and then we backed off into support just now on the economic softness and it held like a charm again, you know, and then buyers come back in, the market's not excessively speculatively long and gets back on its feet. So those are the types of trades that I'm looking to continue to happen. And that's what I'm going to keep chasing in the commodity sector for the rest of the year, Andreas, if that's fair.
2: Yeah, it is. Uh, I have a structural allocation towards the metals and miners uh, in my structural portfolio as well. And I'm basically not touching it. Uh, yeah, We put it like that. Um, speaking of equities, Tony, uh, we've actually had a decent day in in US equities. Um, if, if you're right that uh, recession risks are maybe sort of exaggerated by now, would you then be on the long side, generally speaking, uh, in terms of equities?
1: Yeah, I just had a, little, a, a short period of time there where our book was long only for a couple of weeks where we covered our shorts very close to the lows in in um, technology and retail, um, wrote the book long only for quite a bit and just started pivoting into a couple of short positions, uh, i.e. in home builders. Um, but broadly speaking, I think for now the tape might be in a bit of a range between now and the end of the year. You know, I do think that we're going to take one more look at the low or somewhere close to it. Uh, But I don't think that path is going to be linear either, because I think that we're going to be fighting the Fed the whole way, Um, you know, even though they're trying to pivot and stay hawkish to fight this inflation, especially for optics sake, you know, their their tendency is to want to sort of lay back off the gas, as you know. And I feel like they're kind of just looking for that excuse so that the S&P can get back on its feet and start rallying again. So that's something that I don't really like to bet against. But at, for now, I feel like the S&P is set up with some severe challenges ahead for the next couple of years. So I think it's most important to be in the right sectors. Yeah.
2: So what are your top picks right now in terms of sectors, Tony?
1: Man, I'm a little bit of a broken record right now. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you, Andreas, I'm still at all commodities all the time. Um, right now we've got, um, you know, I'm in the natural resources trade. I'm in the natural resources ETF, IGE There are a lot of refiners in that, and refiners are currently galloping higher to new highs for the current move. Um, I think that's really important. I think that speaks to the profitability that they just kind of revealed in the last earnings season, where, you know, whether the crack spread is $30 or $40 or $50, it's a small windfall for a lot of the refiners out there. And I think that they, you know, continue to sort of under promise and over deliver on the actual earning side. So I got a feeling that we might be set up for quite a run for them. And that's what keeps me bullish in the natural resources space. You know, once again, if uh, it's natural gas main event is going to happen in Europe and we're going to get a serious rally here, I think it makes sense to be in the ags for sure for the rest of the year in, in some capacity. I think the fertilizer stocks and even the food producers are a good place to be. Um, And I'm just trying to avoid technology as as you can see, you know, it has not been performing well in a period of rising interest rates um, and headline inflation. You know, you look at today's rally, Andreas, and and the three leading sectors on the top of my sort of self or the four leading sectors on the top of my selfish leaderboard are cannabis, social media, semis and Internet stocks. Right. And then you look at them year to date and they are down 48 percent, down 38 percent, down 24 percent and down 35 percent year to date. So as long as the sort of retracement rallies have this type of leadership here, you know, I'm not going to get too caught up in where the S&P might be headed right now. So that, that's kind of my look at what's going on. I am still looking for natural resources to sort of hang in there and continue to perform, even if the S&P backs off.
2: We have a question from uh, Piers in relation to uh, the energy trade, Tony. Um, He he asks you whether uh, the gas and electricity shortages will mean that Europe will be headed for a severe recession this winter, and whether it will ultimately uh, imply meaningful demand destruction that could also tilt the long energy trade.
1: I mean the euro the euro and the headlines are are trading like it is a controlled demolition scenario. Right? It's it's really a, it's it's sort of it's it's upsetting to me to see, you know, I can imagine what it would be like if you lived in Berlin or Hamburg or something like that and you've got, you know, officials telling you to stock up on firewood and use washcloths instead of taking long showers and things and you're trying to prepare for this in your life. And, you know, you've got Macron over here saying that we're at a period where we're at the end of abundance and everybody's going to have to make sacrifices. I don't know. It just doesn't look good for Europe. And what I, I definitely wanted to get back to this one. I tweeted yesterday with natural gas prices trading to a new high. Like, does anybody in Europe have a plan? And the reality is, if you pay close attention politically, the answer is no. You know, they they are absolutely not prepared for you know, natural gas prices to continue higher. They're not prepared for food shortages. They're not prepared um, for a very cold winter. And, you know, you even hear some of the, you know, more sober officials finally warning about that. Right. And that they're finally, you know, admitting that they may be in for some unrest and and some pretty ugly headlines ahead. And I, I feel like, you know, that that's, you mean that the sign is up on the marquee and the people are waiting on the popcorn line for that movie to take place because the writing is on the wall there if we get a cold winter in europe they're in for hell so you know as much as i hate to see it and as much as i believe in in your idea that they are doing a lot better filling up storage you know to a higher percentage of capacity it doesn't matter if you know if there's still one cold spell away from being at risk You know, if they have a normal amount of gas in storage. So it doesn't it doesn't ease my concern heading into the winter that, you know, they're doing okay on storage, because if it gets very cold and Putin decides to say six weeks of maintenance on the Nord Stream. They have a huge problem on their hands, right? Huge. So as long as they continue to push him, you know, militarily, he's going to have that lever to pull politically. And man, that's a really powerful one. It doesn't seem like it against the military might, but it sure is a powerful lever to pull.
2: Yeah. And I mean, even if Europe sort of manages to, to get the flow uh, needed in, in natural gas, they would have like paid um, a price that is so much higher than usual. Uh, so in any case, it's a bad scenario, right? Even if the flow is strong, it's uh, it's being paid for with uh, activity, basically, by the end of the day, because of the huge increase in, in the price. So I think a recession is simply a done deal in Europe. It's just a matter of, of how deep a uh, recession that we're going to to face this. Uh, this winter tony it's um it's been a great pleasure to interview again uh today any final remarks for uh, the audience
1: uh you know it's tough it's tough to get uh to get your bearings on on the world you know on a kind of slow you know doldrums of summer but i'm kind of paying attention to the statements that i'm hearing right now and, you know, I think that if you're in the oil markets and you're not really focused on that Prince Aziz statement, go back into Bloomberg and, and listen to the interview and, you know, understand that these people are very serious about standing their ground um, in terms of their energy positions. And when they're selling cargoes, physical cargoes at, you know, prices above the spot price you know, to Asian clients and they see the U.S. paper markets get trashed at eight o'clock in the morning on the open, you know, they're very wise to what's going on. And if they decide that they're going to put some reverse pressure on the wise guy that's knocking the price of oil down, well, then, man, then you can forget about, you know, what's going to happen on the upside. So, you know, that I think is the real risk in oil right now. And, you know, that Macron comment about the end of abundance, man, you know he's still getting a lot of coaching from his Davos crowd buddies and it doesn't it doesn't sound like they're saying look in the event that natural gas goes completely berserk what we're going to do is ease up some of these restrict right like nobody is making any sensible comments like that to prepare for disaster so you know all they would have to do is take you know go back on their heels on some of their policy and we would be through a lot of these issues so you know until i see that it's really hard for me to think anything is gonna happen, then we are gonna have that really ugly main event.
2: We should come up with a short Davos ETF, Tony. Okay. I, I want to buy that so bad. Yeah, um totally. uh, yeah, uh, you know, I've made it my trademark to always conclude the uh, discussion with a meme uh, in the daily briefing. Uh, and uh, today's meme obviously relates to the discussion we've had on energy. Um, so I think we are currently in the damned if you do damned if you don't scenario in Europe, either the politicians can, can keep buying natural gas at unpayable prices forcing a recession, or else they can ration energy forcing a recession anyway. So there is no good uh, solution to this um, after years of bad policy, basically.
1: Very well laid out, Andreas. Very well laid out. The meme always does the trick, right?
2: Yeah, it does. (laughs) (laughs) Tony, a pleasure to interview you again today. Thank you for joining.
1: Yeah, man. Great job, Andreas. Really great job. Thank you very much for letting us uh, hash out these markets, man.
2: My uh, colleague Maggie Lake will be back tomorrow with uh, Jim Bianco, uh, obviously with all the action from the Jackson Hole conference. Uh, So thanks for watching today and see you
1: again tomorrow. Awesome. Cheers, Andreas. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best,